Yo, 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 welcome to JavaScript Jam, coming at you live from Remix Conf. We already got one of our speakers hopping in here. Gonna add them, and we'll have some other people who will be hopping up soon as well. I just had a mad dash around the conference to get as many people as I could to join. So, bro nifty, showing up, what's up, dude? Okay, and yeah, so we are at RemixConf right now. For those who don't know, Remix, it is a JavaScript framework, and it is a conference about that said JavaScript framework. Um, hopefully we can get our guest up here. Um, feel free to shoot me a DM if you're hitting any roadblocks as you do that. Oh, looks like we got Ishan, too. We'll add him as well. Okay. So thank you all for joining. We're going to be chatting about a couple different things. All right, looks like we got Glauber up here. Can you speak? Hello, hello. Live from hey. RemixCon. Yeah, real quick. Um, how do you pronounce your name? Uh, it's a great question because uh, I don't think I ever had the experience of people pronouncing my name correctly uh, because it's a German word. Although I have no German ancestry, I was not born in Germany. I have not, nowhere Germany in my family. Um, so I guess it's Glauber. <laughs> I say Glauber. Hey, yeah. that's, that's what I said. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In, in the UK, in the UK, they call me Glauber. Glauber. Okay, that's good cool. too. Yeah. What's up, Ishan? Yo, uh, yeah, you know, the fun part about Twitter Spaces is it's, it's kind of like gamification built in. I missed the first prompt when you invited me. And if you miss that, you have to like reapply. Um, <laughs> so it's like I was adjusting my headset. They, they the always keep time. you on your toes. I yeah. Mean, co host, actually, let's see if that works. Let's try it. Uh, Glaubert, you want to introduce yourself to the audience and give a little bit of your background and who you are? Happy to. So uh, I'm Glauber, and I am the founder and CEO of Turso. Uh, I don't come uh, pretty much from from a, like a JavaScript front end for, uh, background. Uh, I I was for ten years contributor to the Linux kernel, uh, and after that, I was in a writing a database in a company called SilaDB, which is a NoSQL uh, petabyte scale database. Uh, and now uh, Turso is uh, essentially an offering of uh, SQLite on the edge uh, in thirty plus locations. Uh, and this is obviously a lot more relevant for that community. Uh, so I'm here trying to make friends. Uh, if you haven't met us yet, just come to our booth and tell me more about the front-end world and what you would like to see. Yeah, That is such an incredible background. And um, as you were saying that, I'm like, hey, I listened to a podcast with you. You're on Jamstack Radio. I was, I was, yes, yes. Some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, just real quick, don't need to like rehash the whole thing, but like, what was it like working on the Linux kernel? Like, I, I'm like, you know, someone who just has gotten into web dev the last couple of years. And to me, like someone who like has worked on the Linux kernel, it's like this like holy position is like, how, how do you even go about that? It's like, just seems like the coolest thing ever. It's hard to do other things after that in a sense, because like a people, developers, I notice we're all uh, sometimes divide ourselves like, oh, I'm a backend developer. I am a frontend developer. But you're like, if you're a kernel developer or if you're a database developer, like I became later, you're actually none of those, right? <laughs> I've not, I never had the experience like of writing actual backend. So uh, I, I guess I'm not a front end developer. So maybe backend. Uh, but it, your experience is very different than the traditional developers. Uh, so sometimes it's hard to connect a little bit. But on the other hand, I mean, it's such a great community, a little bit toxic. So all this stuff that you keep hearing about Linux is like how every, everybody's shouting at each other all the time. All true, uh, and it was also much worse when, when I was there. I guess it's better today. Uh, but, it, you know, it was essentially my first uh, programming thing that I've done. I started contributing as a as a volunteer uh, out of college, and then I was hired by Red Hat uh, through my contributions. So for me, like, being starting my career in that world was uh, crazy in many ways and, like, uh, set me up for success later, right, just because after that, like, you're kind of the Linux guy. <laughs> just very cool. And something else I'm curious about in terms of the background, this is something that maybe a lot of people won't know, but I do because I'm so deep into this world, is that there was Chisel Strike and now there's Terso. That's so right. Yeah. What's, what's the deal there? 
Uh, so Chisel Strike is still the official name of our company, and uh, it's our previous product that we had. And the idea of Chisel Strike, just in, you know, in a couple of words, was to offer a database that was also SQLite-based and also going to the edge, but it come embedded with uh, TypeScript runtime. Uh, and the idea there is that, hey, JavaScript developers, uh, and this came from like, conversations that we had early on, uh, it would be cool if they didn't have to write SQL and you could program your database uh, in TypeScript. Uh, and what we saw there is that some people actually found that cool, uh, but never to the extent that uh, we were confident that this will become like a world-changing product. And every time we would explain anybody about what we were doing, they would say, this is cool and all, but tell me more about the SQLite stuff that you're doing, like with SQLite on the edge and et cetera. And we started noticing that the interest was a lot more there. Uh, and then we launched or so a couple of months ago in public beta, and we saw so much traction, right, especially in comparison uh, they were now rebranding everything. So like a chisel strike is mostly at this, at this point, like a historical thing. Um, and we're putting like all in, in bring your data to the edge, uh, which is uh, a and very strong validation. The, uh, that, yeah. Just, I'm sorry. Sorry. You, you caught, you caught there for a second. Sorry. I think I, I stepped over you. Continue. Yeah. yeah so the, here at the remix conf, we're getting like lots of people just coming and asking us about it. Like we have a booth in here. So like uh, it's uh, it's essentially like a TLDR. Uh, Chisel Strike is a former product of ours that uh, we keep uh, as an open source project. Uh, some users uh, started using it, uh, but we're going all in now in this offer for SQL out on the edge, uh, named or so. Yeah. Very cool. And I, you're, I sorry, have go, a, go ahead, uh, yeah. I have a Chisel Strike T-shirt. Amazing, man! So I have plenty. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll save that as a memento. Uh, but congrats on Terso. Uh, Thanks, man. So it's, it's really important. I remember. I think we we met in person at the Jamstack conference. We did. Uh, we did. Year. Yes. Um, so yeah, congrats on on the the pivot to Terso. Uh, so Are you? What were you going to say, uh, Anthony? Go ahead. Yeah, I was. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, Gobber. No, I was just asking you, Sean, if it's here because I, I haven't seen him yet. He's okay. Not, yeah, though. I'm not. Uh, Scott and Anthony are there. Uh, I'm I'm there in spirit. Awesome. This is this is my, I'm gonna vicariously live through that. Awesome. At all the developer conferences I want to go to. I was at Remix last year, um, and I just have to say the energy of Remix conference last year was just infectious, and especially coming out of the COVID pandemic, it was you know I came back to the company and I was like, guys, in person developer conferences are back. Like there was so much energy and interest. Uh, I'm curious, you know, are you guys feeling like, you know, what's the energy like right now uh, on the conference floor? Um, again, I wasn't here last year, so I don't know in comparison, yeah. but uh, compared to other conferences, for example, I think it's fantastic. Jamstack conference, for example, but smaller doesn't mean necessarily that there's a worse thing. On the contrary, you have so many more interactions uh, with people. So everybody's so far, like extremely friendly, uh, again, lo lots of chat going on, like lots of energy. So, I mean, definitely, definitely compared to the baseline of what conferences usually are way, way, way above, uh, the average for me. Great. Thank you. You know, it reminds me, one of my favorite conferences is, um, it's not very well known. It's called Monktoberfest run by the guys at Red Monk. And it's not a very large conference and you can judge a conference by its talks you can judge it by like the hallway track, like the conversations yeah. you have in the hallway and the people you meet. And that's one of the reasons I fondly remember Remix. If, you know, it's something you can't get from looking at the website um, and, and the talks. Absolutely. Yeah. The best conferences I've been to, like uh, in terms of my career, like 70 people, uh, something like that, like a small, but the group that's there is very, very relevant, uh, very skilled knows what they're doing, and then you can have like those meaningful connections that can last a lifetime. Yeah, actually, I remember, I think both at Jamstack and Remix Conference, there were some people I met, and we started talking, and we said hello, and we'd forgotten we had only met online before. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, last year, I met one of one of our my, my co-workers for the first time. Yeah, you met person. me for the first, the first time also. I met you, I met Scott, like, it was just uh, it was great. Um, uh, Anthony, what are you seeing on the on the floor uh, at Remix Conference? Yeah, I mean, to me, it feels like a similar energy, which is like a good thing. Because I thought the energy last year was awesome. And I agree that 
smaller conferences I actually enjoy a lot more because, you know, you'll see the same people, you know, multiple times and you can kind of meet more people that way. And it feels less like it's just like, like you're going to Disneyland. It's just like a million people. You don't even know what to do with yourself. And it kind of reminds me, like I was always really big into summer camps. I went to summer camp every year for like 15 years. So I like that kind of feel where it's like a tight knit group and everyone can get to know everyone. So yeah, I, I love it. I think it's really cool. So if you're going, if you're going to a conference with more than a thousand people, you're going for the talks. And if you're going for the talks, I mean, it's essentially glorify YouTube. Uh, it's really hard to make those connections, those personal connections past a certain point. And again, I've been to conferences uh, with 4,000 people and I've been to conferences with uh, 70 people and I will pick the, you know, to attend in person. And, and it's tricky because like as a, as a sponsor that I am right now, like a, obviously I want 4,000 people to see my message. Uh, so, but as a participant on the conference, like uh, just being on, a, on the stack group is just so much better. Awesome. Uh, so we had Jamie uh, joined with us. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the crowd, Jamie? Hey, everyone. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm Jamie, Dev, work at DevRel at GraphSpace. Um, I've been around the GraphQL space for a while. And what's really nice, actually, about RemixConf is you get to just speak with a lot of different people in different ecosystems. It's very easy, I think, on Twitter to kind of fall into one particular ecosystem that you advocate for. But when you come to these conferences and speak to others, you can kind of go outside of that and you know get familiar and learn other cool new things that and different ways people are working with stuff so it's really nice um you know as we as we, it was just being discussed these smaller conferences really do make time for those more meaningful uh discussions so i really love it um you know these smaller ones and the same at jams.com uh you know that was similar a little bit bigger but you know lots of great discussions going on Very cool. Yeah. And so um, Glauber gave a little bit of an intro about his company. So do you want to speak a bit about GraphBase as well? Of course. Yeah. So GraphBase, uh, we've been around for a few years now. Um, started off kind of as a project from the CEO that wanted to kind of build a database that had this GraphQL API at the edge. Uh, and we've somewhat kind of changed a little bit now. So uh, we now work with other databases. You know, what, what's the point of in introducing yet another database for people to learn? So now we kind of work with other databases that are serverless, so things like uh, the MongoDB Data API, Postgres, um, with things like Neon and uh, soon Terso, I think, uh, we're working on something there. And yeah, we just allow you to kind of bring in all these different data sources. And I think the best analogy uh, from speaking to people today is if, if people remember, you know, Gatsby and uh, the data layer that that had, that was a really awesome piece of Gatsby where you could kind of plug in different data sources from anywhere and you could link those together we um, are providing something similar to that, but it's kind of agnostic to the framework and it's you know hosted later this year that will be open source so you can deploy it wherever you like. Um, but we kind of provide a platform for you to do that. And I could go on and on about the different features on top of that API, but I won't. But just kind of a quick summary is that you can kind of bring auth, real-time caching, um, and your own kind of custom resolvers that live alongside these edge functions. So lots of really cool stuff happening. Um, certainly in the GraphQL space, it's it's still vibrant. It's still going on. There's there's still a lot of hype. Um, you just kind of kind of look 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 for it now. Um, you know, but that's uh, that's that's the tech world, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I I love it. And like for me, people who who know my history very well will know that I worked at a company that built essentially exactly what you're building right now, Stebzen. So it's like the problem space that is very near and dear to my heart. And I would love to get you on another time to do like a full in-depth interview about it. But right now I'm curious, like what's been your Remix Comp experience like so far? And this is, you were not at last year's Remix Comp. I believe this is your first time. It's my first time, yeah. Uh, last year, I I kind of got the Remix bug um, shortly after the conference. I watched a few videos by Ryan that was talking about web forms and actions and loaders. And it just kind of clicked. And I'm someone that worked with Ruby on Rails for about five or six years. And then when GraphQL came out, I kind of made the switch to Node. And I was kind of re-implementing a lot of that stuff with Node and GraphQL and um, you know, dealing with a lot of the clients and caching and stuff. And I think it's just nice, certainly. It's been nice to talk to people here about how they're using Remix. And also kind of selfishly asking, are they using GraphQL? And if they're not, why? And I think there's a big misconception it that GraphQL is 
uh, is this weird thing that I just don't need because I have an SDK or REST API, but I try and just make people forget about GraphQL being GraphQL and just treat it as a another data source. Uh, and I think it's perfect with Remix and with, with Fetch now. The Fetch API is so good that I don't think there's a huge need for these GraphQL clients anymore. Um, certainly in my discussion so far. Ooh, that's a bold claim. <laughs> that's how a lot of people... Um, I, I just find with Remix and other tools in the space uh, that are doing a lot more of the, the server rendering and they have built-in Fetch and caching and revalidation, I don't really see a huge need for a GraphQL client anymore. Um, but obviously... In this ecosystem, it's still very, very valuable for those that aren't in this. Um, so those are still needed, of course. But in this space, I don't particularly see a huge benefit to add in that complexity to your application. Wait, so can we double click on that for a second? So what what are the the alternative? Like, just use what Remix has out of the box with Fetch. Is there a minimal stack you'd recommend, or like library? Like you just lob post requests with your with your query over the wire, right? Yeah, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I don't see anything wrong with that. Like that is that okay. that. I think one of the biggest things with GraphQL is the type stuff. So creating types for your queries and mutations, and where do those belong? Do they belong inside of the file? Do they belong in a document folder? How are queries then generated? Should the generator generate these functions that you run? Um, one of the things that we are kind of doing with GraphBase is we are going to introduce a client and a TypeScript config soon. So it'll be kind of full type safety from the schema and the API that you build and the consumption side. But to be honest, I think it's going to be based on the Fetch API. So it'll just work. I'm hoping we can kind of build it as kind of an adapter approach where you can plug in or make it easily pluggable with with Remix and Nuxt and, and everything else. So it just hooks into their existing Fetch implementations. We already seen, I think, last week from another framework, they have extended yet again the Fetch API with some kind of custom config. Uh, these frameworks are doing so much now to kind of revalidate and keep things um, up to date and persistent across uh, their own caches. I think it just kind of makes sense to take advantage of that and not build yet another implementation of that that's wrapping uh, wrapping that. So I don't know if that kind of double clicks into that, but it's a huge, huge discussion. Um, maybe it's time, you know, <laughs> we'll save that for another day. Looks like we have Bro Nifty coming up to the stage. Oh, hi. Yeah, I was uh, I was going to ask Jamie a quick question. Um, thank you. Uh, hi, Jamie. Um, yeah, just a quick question about the fetch implementation. Would you do something just like you want to type what's coming back from the GraphQL API? Maybe just create an interface and saying, yeah, I'm going to get like a name, a title, and a post or whatever, and you could like type out whatever's coming back from it, and then just from the fetch, wouldn't you want to pull in like the, I mean, it's been a little while, sorry, but is it GQL or something like that? Like before you put in the, those grave quotes or like the template string, you say like what kind of, like if it's like if it's sanity, it's like G-R-O-Q, you preface it before you put it in there. Or like if it's GraphQL, you like, I think it's called like whatever. Just just fetch it, just fetch it with a, a template string. Yeah. Yeah. So you could just use a plain template string. You can instruct um, whatever code editor uh, that the, the language of what the template string is. So that kind of gives you the added benefit of um, if you you have a VS Code plugin that can kind of hi- do the syntax highlighting. Um, I think I'm not sure if this is still true, but some of the plugins let you kind of execute those one off, so you can kind of test it right in there. Um, but yeah, the, the, there's a lot of discussion about kind of relay. Relay is really difficult to set up, I think, for most people that are new to GraphQL, and it kind of takes a few goes to kind of get it going. But I think we're going to see a huge. Uh, I think with GraphQL and Remix and and you know the frameworks that are doing this SSR stuff have their own cache. I think Fetch just makes sense to me. Um, like I said before, using these APIs that they have to fetch data, I, I would just kind of want to use the framework and leverage the framework's built-in tools and kind of bring along my bloat from other projects. And it might just be a time where we need to kind of relearn and retool a new way. Um, but like I say, this is specific to the Remix ecosystem. Um, but, you know, there's still there's still tools out there like the GraphQL code generator. Um, they, used to, they used to kind of... Uh, uh, pr- 
prefer you to use client pl uh, plugins that would generate hooks that you could invoke in your front end. But now that's not recommended. The recommended path is similar to Relay, where you have inline fragments for your components. And then at a root level, you kind of compose those fragments and it takes care of that that data. Um, and then that's fully typed for the page and the components and, and whatever. Um, you know, that's certainly still possible with Remix, but the kind of the, the transport would just be using um, fetch, right, and the HTTP. Uh, just want to give a shout out here, if I may. Uh, when we launched Russo in private beta, Bro Nifty was uh, one of the first people to join our community. So super ah, glad to right see you around, man. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, Pro yeah, Nifty's the homie. Yeah, Prime. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I Prime. think it's the first time that I'm actually chatting with you, like, uh, in, not in person, but like at least over not text. So glad to see you, man. Hi, G. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce your name, so I just call you G, but Glober. 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 Yeah, what's up? So let's let's tie call this me, Call me Turso, man. Call me let's Turso. Yeah. Are you are you around? Together. Yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. Sorry, go uh, ahead. Oh, I'm not on the. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm unfortunately I'm uh, like broke and so not traveling to the various conferences and stuff. But I'll I'll get there. I'll get there one day. So you say let's tie this all together. Could we plug Terso into GraphBase? Yeah, totally possible. Yeah, we <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we we we've been briefly discussing. Um, this. I think there's a few things we need to um, tidy up, but I think we have resolvers right now, so that's kind of the easiest way to do it, is you can just use a custom resolver with GraphBase, create, create some type definitions that link to the custom resolver, and that when you execute that query or mutation, that can then talk to Terso. Um, yeah, Seem, it, seems, it seems doable, what I would prefer that we've been kind of speaking to Glover and the rest of the team about is making this a kind of a first class directive. It's like, it's like at Terso. And then we kind of just, you know, generate all of that boilerplate for you. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about yeah, that. I like, like those guys a lot, by the way. And now uh, we do have a Slack channel that we've been discussing this kind of thing. So I think it is coming. Uh, and one of the things about Terso that obviously I find it very nice, although I am obviously, of course, biased, uh, is that we're fully API based. Right, so you can create databases, destroy databases, list databases, do all of your database work from an API. And you have you still have the local experience of having SQLite for your local SDK. So it integrates into platforms very, very well. Uh, and like the graph-based story for us is a very compelling story. Uh, definitely want to make that a first-class citizen. And yeah, you're at the conference, right? I will stop by. I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll stop by. Got some candy. We actually, we have a bowl of candy and... Uh, I'm here with our VP of Marketing, Michael, uh, and I have a bet with him that we will not be able to give away all the candy that we have. So if you want him to win, and if you want me to lose, come and get the candy. <laughs> all right. We've got lots of t-shirts, so maybe we can trade. That's right. <laughs> That's super funny. Um, so I'd be curious, um, has anyone seen a talk so far that they're really excited about or have a talk coming up that they're looking forward to? I've seen half of the Cloudflare talk, and like when we have when you have a booth, it's uh, really hard to watch a full talk because you always want to be around and you want to be talking like talking to people that are coming to your booth. But I managed to get like at least half, I think, of the Cloudflare talk. Um, that one was super exciting. I mean, obviously very relevant for us, so naturally uh, calls for my attention. Uh, but you know, uh, Cloudflare is doing amazing work at the edge stuff. Uh, I like them a lot as a platform, so definitely was excited for that one. Yeah, there was a talk from Alex on the Remix Live Loader, and I think this is not something new, but it's certainly an area which I spent a lot of time on last year um, with GraphBase when we were discussing how can we implement GraphQL Live queries, which isn't a very popular thing, um, but I think it's much better than subscriptions um, to some degree. And uh, yeah, it was just nice to see how that was implemented in a framework like Remix because I was considering building... Um, a client library that communicated with uh, GraphBase, and it actually seems very, very easy from what I've seen in the slides in the talk. 
Um, so that's not as daunting as uh, I first imagined. So I'm super excited that that's going to be the thing that I look at when I get home. Just a shout out to to Alex. He was our guest last week on JavaScript Jam uh, Live. Um, and you can find that on our website, actually, at javascriptjam.com. Um, and while you're there, by the way, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, but Alex and we interviewed Kent actually the week before that for the last two weeks in preparation in the run-up to the Remix conference. Uh, we're guests in the past, if you want to hear. And Alex did go into some detail on on you know a preview of his Remix Live Loader talk. Um, any other talks people saw or looking forward to? I know I see like Dan Abramov, you know, Mr. React is going to be talking. I don't think that's happened yet. I'm trying to like calculate the time zones in my head. I think that one's coming up. Um, and that looks really interesting. And I know later today there's uh, a React, you know, panel uh, from the React core team, which is great to see the presence of, uh, you know, the React core team uh, at the Remix conference this year. Yeah, totally. There's one talk on uh, <clears throat> using Remix in the browser for video editing. Um, I create a lot of videos, and I'm keen to kind of see what, what that looks like um, and just kind of how it's possible. So that's one I'm looking forward to seeing today. Oh, yeah. I So I came like in a past life. I did, you know, engineering for a computer music, computer video company. Um, it was like a Avid slash Pro Tools. Um, so I'm really curious to see what we can do in the browser these days. Um, and see how much can be inserted there. And you know, back in the day, we had to use you know custom hardware, let alone native applications. It's really amazing how far we've come. So I was I was looking forward to that one, but I felt like that's just me. So it's great to hear there are others who are interested. Yeah, it's Christopher Shadow, who's um early early React core team member, I think. And then uh, I'm looking at tomorrow's, you know. Uh, schedule and I saw some interesting talks there too. Um, I like um, convince your boss to use Remix. <laughs> I find like how do you convince people to use any stack to be kind of like itself a very interesting topic. Yeah, we should we should get him on. I think that's a great topic. Um, and I'm I'm really curious to watch that talk. I saw that as well um, because you know you know we uh, I run product at Edgeo. Uh, this whole thing on, you know, convince your boss is actually a very topical and important part of, you know, any type of, of product. So I'm always really curious to see what people do in this regard. Um, and it's really important when you're, you know, uh, not the, the default, so to speak. And Remix has certainly made huge gains, um, more so than a lot of other, I think, frameworks. Um, but even then, I think it's, you know, sometimes people, you know, if you're outside our ecosystem, you may not know Remix, um, and your boss may not know Remix, and you might need to convince at least your boss or your boss's boss. So that'll be a really interesting talk. Uh, we have two, I think, tomorrow on web performance, um, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, so I'm, I'm always curious to watch those and see what people are talking about. Um, one about you know data, I guess, on the state of web performance, and one on the difference between... RUM and lab tests, which that last topic I think is really important, I will say. Um, yeah, I know you're a big RUM guy. You're the first person I, who told yeah. me about RUM. Yeah, I'm like, so look, here's the thing. Everyone runs PageSpeed Insights and they're like, or, or Lighthouse, and they're like shooting for 100, and it may not matter. Um, like my number one tip for optimizing your Lighthouse score is don't look at the Lighthouse score. Look first at your RUM data um, and your core web vitals. Um, which is another part now of PageSpeed Insights. They they used to have this problem with the user experience, like they'd intersperse the ROM data with the lab data and you couldn't focus on what was important. And they'd put the, the synthetic lab data at the top. And the problem with that is like when Google ranks how fast your site is, they don't run Lighthouse. They only look at the ROM data. So that's the number one thing you should look at and then look at the lab data to help you inform how to improve your, your ROM data. There was a really good example during the pandemic where um, every state here in the U.S. had its own web page for the vaccine rollout. And somebody went and ran a test of Lighthouse across all 50 states. And they're like, here are the states with the best and worst vaccine pages. And then I, I looked at it and I, 
I found if you look at the core of vitals data, it was a totally different picture. In fact, there was like one site that had like an 80, another site that had a 20, but the core of vitals was almost identical for them. And the only thing that really matters is the core of vitals. So it was a great test case of like where, you know, RUM data really matters. Um, so I, I look forward to that talk. And the more we can get that message out there, uh, I think the, the better the web will be as a whole. So that's a, a great one. Um, the other one I saw that was really interesting, which is of the moment, is the, the get rich quick one, uh, which is AI powered remix apps. So uh, I'm curious to tune to that just because that's that's one of the hot topics in the industry. I don't know if there's anybody else who's a speaker who who saw other talks they want to hear about. And I'll just remind folks, you know, JavaScript Jam is, since we're at the halfway or somewhat halfway mark, you know, an open mic for everything JavaScript and web development related. Um, this this week and the last two weeks, we've been focused on Remix Conference, where we're a media sponsor. Um, and Anthony's there live streaming from the event. Um, but you know, feel free to raise your hand, ask a question to the speakers or bring up another topic, um, if, especially if you're early streaming conference, even if you're attending virtually, this is your chance to ask people uh, how things are going on there and get a little bit of the, the hallway track. And while you're at it, as I said earlier, go to javascriptjam.com and subscribe to our newsletter so you know what we're just put on Jumbotron. Yes, thank you. Hey, it looks like we got Jen coming up too. She was just... Uh texting me on the side, both Glauber and Jamie, both of you would be great guests for her stream. She currently works at a database company and is always looking for more database or backend type people to bring on. So what's up, Jen? Hello. Hello, beautiful humans. And thank you for the intro, Anthony. Uh, I was coming up to say, yes, just that of like, y'all should be a guest on my show of I am newer to the database world and still pretty new in, in, uh, coding as well. I started, Anthony, you were my second guest July 5th. Did we decide? With the best episode ever, apparently. It is. It, it has the most Five views. view counts. Like double the, the one that's in second. <laughs> yeah. I still need to do better SEO and stuff like that. And anyway, uh, just thought I'd come say hi. I was driving earlier, so I couldn't say, yay, bro nifty, because bro nifty is the best. And yeah, that's really all I came up here to say and ask. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah. Uh, What's your been, what's your experience been so far with conferences, Jen? You've done, I think, some virtual conferences. Have you done any live ones yet? I I've emceed four virtual conferences. I've spoken at one virtual conference and I've attended one in-person conference. Well, kind of two like an internal conference for Ivan and also Denver startup week. And both of which I was like a last minute, Hey Jen, go talk on this. Uh, okay. So like last minute speakers for the two in-person ones I've been to. I that clutch Devrel right there. <laughs> Luckily they've all been about mental health. So we're good. We're good. But you know, last minute, last minute speaker. I, yeah, I recommend building like, an example app that you can demo anywhere, anytime, and just be like, hey, whenever I ask you to do a thing, be like, cool, okay, do this demo that I've done a thousand times. That was, that was always my move as a DevRel. Yes, that is definitely something I need to do, and I'm going to be working on recording videos today. I actually purposely didn't apply for conferences this season for the fall because we're like CFPs, or a lot of them are closing up right now. Because I'm focusing elsewhere, yet excited to get to conferences. I agree with what y'all were saying earlier. I really like smaller conferences um, where you get to know people really well. I think those connections can be made at larger conferences. Like I've been to larger conferences, yet not in the tech world. And they're very similar. Like You can make connections, but it is much harder. And you have to purposely try to make those relationships where at smaller conferences, it's uh, much more like water cooler talk. So it's much more organic 
And I would say as for emceeing conferences and for those who ever have thought about being a guest or have questions or things like that, first off, if you have questions and you're doing Q&A, the MC will try to get to all your questions, but it's like honestly not possible 90% of the time. And also, if you see there are no questions being asked, please just ask the most random question. It doesn't matter if it's what's their favorite color. Please volunteer yourself to ask a question to that guest if there's no, no one asking questions. And also, being an MC, you get to see how dope these speakers are where you don't always get to see like how they are behind the scenes when you're in the audience. And with the view, Nuxt, uh, API days, so many conferences, I've seen uh, that th- people are incredibly kind, even behind the scenes. That's great to hear. Um, uh, I feel like developer conferences haven't always been the most welcoming. And I think a large part of the community has really taken that as feedback in over the time I've attended them. And I think they've really tried to, um, break down the walls to make them more welcoming, uh, and, and get more people into the ecosystem. So I think that's a really good point. I do have a question that was brought up. I saw it earlier today on Twitter and I will pin it. Of uh, Somebody was asking about, um, should we pause pushing tech until the layoffs slow down? Because they've noticed that how they talk about tech and if pe- we should continue to push people into tech anymore. And I thought that was such a curious question, especially with conferences, because it is so much more welcoming, yet with all the layoffs and scariness, how do we continue to promote the community that we're building? That's an interesting question. And by pause pushing tech, what exactly would that mean? From the way I took it of like, I may not suggest to other people that may be bartending right now, to start learning to code because they're not able to get a job as quickly because of all the layoffs. That's at least how I took it of it doesn't make as, would it make as much sense if it's harder to get a job to suggest people learn to code, get into tech. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I, I lost yeah. connection. Didn't hear the last like, two or three minutes of stuff. Looks like the space survived, though, thankfully. So, uh, continue on. <laughs> uh, you, you missed, uh, you know, Jen raised a really good question, um, which was she saw somebody on Twitter saying, you know, should we pause pushing tech? Um, as... Absolutely not. I hate this take. Yeah, I'm, I, and I was like, I really want to hear what Anthony has to say with all the layoffs. Yeah, go, so I have some thoughts, but I really want to hear from you, uh, Anthony. I'm really curious to get what your, your first reaction is. Yeah, layoffs is uh, it's a temporary thing. It's the whole economy went to crap and a whole bunch of companies lost a ton of money. This has nothing to do with the viability of tech skills for a career. And to try we've been to there before. Them, eh? Yeah. We've I mean, been we've been there before. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, 20, 2001, it's when I was joining the tech industry. And 2001 was in many ways much worse than what we're seeing now, right? So just to... like, like if people had said in 2008, don't go into finance, you know, it's like I think finance is still a viable career and people who are in finance probably make plenty of money. But 2008 would have been very bad. Actually, most of the people who like graduated around that time with finance degrees and it was really tough for them to get a job. And it's true. It will be tough to get a tech job right now. And that's something to make sure people are aware of. But we shouldn't say, don't bother, get come like a carrot farmer or something. Like, I don't know. Like, what are you talking to do instead? Yeah, I, I think you should, I would just say, you know, you should go into something that you both like and that's economically viable. Um, 
you know, are statistically economically viable. Uh, and so, you know, don't, don't think like tech is no longer economically viable, but like, if you like finance, but I think you really put it well, like both just like finance, just like tech, they're both good, uh, careers. But if like the only reason you're getting into it, like you don't like it, but you think it's the only way to make money, then I think you're just not going to enjoy it. Um, and consideration whether you should get into tech or not to be a question of, do you want to do this every day for the rest of your life? Is it something you actually enjoy? Or have you been told it'll make you? And this is, I saw this in boot camps, you know, where especially it was like Lambda, where it was an ISA and you can join without having to pay. People be like, ooh, I could join this boot camp and learn to code and then make a bunch of money. I like computers. <laughs> Brian Douglas has said this too. When people say, I like computers as the reason why they want to get into it, he's like, that's a huge red flag. It's like, well, this isn't computers, this is coding. It's a different thing. Yeah. I will say this though, even if you don't like coding, um, it might be useful to augment whatever you end up doing with some coding background. I think it will help you go for it. But maybe your career isn't coding, but you should still get tech skills because they're right. a good complement. Yeah, and um, I told this to my partner yeah. who's a copywriter. I'm like, learn. I, like, I really want to teach her how to create a basic HTML site and show her like what is a head tag and what is metadata let me teach her let me teach her will make her far more effective oh we're we're both gonna teach her but if you maybe i can get her into it you you can teach her first (laughs) and gen tech (laughs) that would be really cool i love jen she's amazing his uh fiance's name is jen as well in case anybody was curious and she's phenomenal so uh, you know the I'm alone and no one can hear me. Uh, I just started being able to hear you. Yeah, they they cut out for a second. You want to just re-say whatever you were saying? Twitter space is going real well. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anybody out there? Okay, I'm back. Not if you can hear me. Hear yeah. me. <laughs> well, that's that's big. That's big shoes to fill. Um, so I'll, I'll. Can you hear me, Anthony? Can you hear me now? Yeah, we okay. can. We can hear you. Just restart whatever we're saying before. Yeah, I was gonna say the. I think, and if folks want to go back, we had a really interesting conversation a few JavaScript Jam episodes ago, where there was, you know, a question like, I don't think the economics changes whether you should get into tech. But um, there was, I think, a more fundamental question, like, does AI change? You know, how does that affect getting into tech or a tech job? Maybe if you were looking at coding it makes it as significantly a, easier, it may make it significantly easier. Um, it may if your goal was, you know, to not to code, but to be able to build certain things, maybe you can build those using ChatGPT. You don't need as much, you know, coding knowledge as you thought anymore in the future. Or maybe it, it changes the dynamics of like how we segment the tech ecosystem between like front end and back end developers. Um and I think that's a really fascinating topic. Um but we explored that in a in a previous episode. I don't remember which one it was, but you can go back and, and find it on the archives. I'd be, yeah. be curious, Glauber, yeah. as someone who's been in the industry for so long, when you talk to people or if someone were to say, you know, I'm interested in getting into tech and like and they are interested, you want to give them advice about how to do it. Is what what would you say to someone who would ask you that? Well, I, I think the advice is the same. It's always been. I mean, uh, you have to make yourself visible. The way I became visible in particular in my career was through open source. Open source doesn't immediately guarantee you that you have to be contributing to a project that has some visibility. I mean, just uh, you don't assume that all projects are equally visible. But like, you have to keep in mind that when we talk about downturns, it's like, People are being laid off. 20% of people, it's a lot of people, but that's still like a lot of people that are not 
laid off, right? So tech is still around. So if you manage to be in that 80% there, like you don't have to be top 1%, that's the thing. You have to be top 80%. And, and you can hear that the folks are back here at the hallway, right? So like, uh, so you just you have to make yourself visible. You have to be, make sure that you can, you can communicate the skill set that you have. Uh, in one way or another, I mean, open source is not by, by and large the only route. Uh, and as long as, as long as you're in this top percentile, that is not like top 1%, it's really like top 50, top 80%, you'll be all right. So like, uh, just focus on developing your skill and making sure that your skills are, you can communicate them well and you can show off them well. Uh, you know, participating in conferences is, is another way speaking in conferences, doing interesting stuff, posting around. So just, uh, just, you know, it's how it's always been. <laughs> you know, to, to bring it back to the conference. We talked with Kent about this idea. Um, I don't know if they had a chance to implement it, but conferences in general, like Remix Conference, are a great way to network um, and potentially, you know, meet future employers if you're looking to get into tech. Um, there is the, it's not the easiest because there's a time and a logistics and sometimes a cost burden to attend them. Um, but it is another potential avenue, especially if it's like in your area. Uh, geographically, uh, it's not a bad way to go and and get immersed in the ecosystem. Uh, yeah, and like uh, you can you can get like a, I I don't know like I've been to a lot of conferences that uh, there's this hack to how to go to a conference without paying, which is you speak at a conference. <laughs> so I mean, oh, and it, it's also great because uh, you you get a lot of visibility. Uh, so it goes back to like, do something interesting, something interesting enough. And sometimes you think the bar, like, oh, I'm not good enough and et cetera. Like the thing is that it, it, you can always have an angle. You can always have uh, something that you're doing that is interesting. Again, uh, when I started my career in 2001, I, I was not obviously as skilled as I am today. And yet I was trying in local conferences and in smaller places, like to get to the conference as a speaker. First of all, because I was broke, I didn't have money to pay. Uh, and second of all, because uh, it gives you visibility. So it's a win-win. It's so try to get to conferences as a speaker. It's a great way to do it. Yeah, and, and you know, another thing we were talking about, how conferences are now more welcoming. I, I get the impression from a lot of organizers, they are looking for, you know, people who are new speakers um, is something they look for. Um, and they, they try to make that easier. So it's a great, great call out. That's yeah, and and like uh, this, especially in contracts, in contrast with the Linux community, that was always like very hostile in a lot of senses. But the tech community in general, in the past ten years, have been thinking a lot about like how to gatekeep things less, how to give more opportunity to people of all backgrounds, and yada yada yada. So the fact that you are like a new speaker that never spoke before. As long as you can come up with a compelling case about the stuff that I'm going to talk about is interesting to the audience, you you, you, have, you have a good shot. So, I mean, uh, might as well try. Yeah, and very often they are looking for a mix of content too. So they're not looking for expert content where you got to, you know, blow the minds of like, you know, the, the most sophisticated Linux kernel hacker. They're also looking for it, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be sophisticated, but it also like uh, also for a conference and just put yourself in the position of the of the person who is like looking for those stocks, uh, which is an advocate of the of the users. So, you know, put yourself in 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 the shoes of somebody that is going to be watching that talk. It can't be something like totally obvious. Right. So it's not it's not about beginner or or advanced. Like I can give you an incredibly advanced talk that is so boring that nobody's going to want to see. So you you, you want to be able to spin this in a way that makes it interesting for the audience. And, and you can do that at every level. Right. But I think it will be a hard thing yeah. to do, like just show up with like something incredibly basic and like a tutorial on something incredibly basic. Probably not. But you can show like, for example, how you use that in an interesting way, way more interesting. Like and and again, same thing. Same thing for a more advanced content. If I'm just showing up and presenting, like the internals of this AI algorithm that I developed, hypothetically, I do not. Uh, but but way less interesting uh, for this audience. For example, if I if I submit a talk about how we do like the nitty gritty of the inner details of how we do replication inside tours, so some conferences will take it. Probably not Remix. Uh, but if I'm talking about how can you how can you, can you use that to create better experiences with your front end application, 
much better chances of being accepted. So it's all about the framing. It's not too much about the level. So just find the framing. It's a bit of talk. Jen, you got your hand up? This, this is something that I was actually talking to Anthony about with being only a year and not even a year, almost a year, we're 10 months in, into starting my show, Teach Gen Tech. I had no idea what I wanted to go into, was kind of just trying everything. And somehow, and I feel very nerdy for this, but databases seem fascinating to me and I love them and I love learning about them. And I'm curious, how did y'all like find what you're passionate about to do talks about them? Ooh, yeah, this is a really good one for me. It was Redwood, as you know, some people should probably know who know me at all know that. Like, I am so gung ho on Redwood. And I, the thing that got me into it was I was a boot camp and I was learning like quote-unquote full stack react development and i went through this like four month long curriculum that taught me you know from front to back how to use react use cdux how to use express how to use postgres and then you tie it all together and then i was like wow this is complicated and doesn't work very well and they all have all these no one understands and then i discovered redwood and it's like hey you get all that for like command and you have an app set up with literally all of that. That was the thing that got me fired. And it was just kind of circumstantial, you know. I happened to be in a place where I needed a tool like Redwood. I found Redwood, and I got it. Like, I got the problem it was solving, because I intimately helped that problem for months on end. And, yeah, so it's it's always hard to say, like, well, how do you find your passion? Because a lot of times there's not, like, a cookie-cutter kind of solution to that, but I'd be really curious, Ishan and Glover, uh, what you guys think about that, how you found your passion. Uh, I'll let Glover go f or, or first, uh, and then I can go. I I think passion finds you, and that's really the answer. Like, uh, now, the question is, like, uh, once you find your passion, like, uh, is that passion profitable? Uh, but that mo most of the time it finds you, and in experience for I remember, like, in 2001, trusted open source the, the game was like a just microsoft oracle they were the only games in town like i got passionate about like a, and on top of that like a, the industry was focusing a lot more on like web stuff and like user facing stuff and i got i, I found this passion on the linux kernel uh so the advice that i got from anybody was uh, don't go into operating systems because there's no money there. There's no career there. And on top of that, don't go into open source because that sounds crazy. Now, I did it anyway out of passion, but it's not like a, it found me. It, it's not like I, I found it. And, and and the leap of faith is an interesting thing because now you have to understand like, a, and when you're young, you, you have the luxury of not worrying too much about it because if it fails, then you go do something else later, like more targeted. Uh, but you know, just, uh, the, the, the real question is like, when you look at the passion that found you, is this something that I'm going to be able to keep doing it or not? But it finds you like, if you try passion and cannot be manufactured, like it, it, you, you click and it's almost like falling in love with, with another person. Like, it's hard to manufacture that. Yeah, that's a really good answer. I, I like that it finds you cause I, I don't have a good answer. Um, it's all like for me. Well, how did you discover performance as a yeah happens? So, so like if I was to go through the history, it's like coming out of school. I want I was really interested in music, and I studied computer science. So I wanted to do something at the interest. We were the reverse. The <laughs> I yeah, we yeah. was really interested in tech. <laughs> yeah, and so I I'm you know a better I, I was a better engineer than a musician. So I went to a computer music company and and did code, and that's how I felt like I was part of the industry and. When I was there, you know, we were trying to do a really difficult problem, which is hard to appreciate today with how fast computers are, but we're trying to do real-time audio editing and, and video uh, at the parent company. And that's where performance really, really matters. And so that's what actually pulled me into it. It was, it was in the service of, of that passion. And then, you know, I've kind of slowly worked my way up the stack, but performance continued to be a problem. Like, are a place where I would, you know, I'd find a performance problem. So 
you know, eventually from drivers to the application layer to then cloud and mobile. And when I got into mobile, you know, it was, again, a bit of happenstance. Uh, One of my friends was like, hey, I want to start this mobile project. And it was to launch an app for the iPhone the day it came out before there was an app store. And I got pulled into that ecosystem. And again, I found, hey, this is web performance and there's, I can use the same set of skills. Uh, and so that's what has slowly, like every single turn, there was some, there was like one foot in one place and one foot in, you know, where it felt like things were going. It looks like we got uh, Jamie back up here. Did you, did you, did you disconnect from the Hilton Wi-Fi like I told you to? Yeah, I had to go downstairs. Um, so hopefully you can hear me now. But yeah, I bumped into, I bumped into Garba though in, uh, in the hallway, which is good. <laughs> but yeah, so what we were just talking about was um, tactic. Maybe what we would recommend to new people who uh, are trying to get into before it. before you get the answer from Jamie. I will uh, thank you all and apologize for missing the last couple of minutes. I I do want to go because there are people started crowning around the booth. Uh, yeah, so no, you're, you're good, man. Some attention. Thank you. Thanks all so much for joining. Great pleasure being Thanks around. Thank you, so, thank you, guys. Yeah, so uh, Jamie, how did you find your passion in tech? Which could be GraphQL, could be something else. Sorry, could you repeat that? Yeah, we're talking about how we found our passion in tech. So, like for me, that was Redwood. For Jen, it was databases. For Eshot, it was performance. For you, I would take a wild guess that it might be GraphQL. Uh, yeah. So my passion started way back when. Uh, well, I have a hobby. I'm a hobby. I, I do a lot of kind of uh, card tricks, uh, magic tricks. And way back when I was doing that kind of stuff, I wanted to show people this. And I ended up building a website maybe uh, when I was 11 or 12 years old. It was kind of the first kid in school. And from that moment, I could just see the, on people's faces the reaction um, and like the joy that it brought, like being able to share information with others. And, you know, even it was just in my time, it was uh, my hobby. Um, that was just a really good time. Um, and from that moment, I've just kind of um, continued to do that. So I moved into Ruby on Rails. I moved into uh, Node with GraphQL. And then in the last few years, specifically with GraphQL, there wasn't really anyone just kind of creating content specifically on that. There was a lot of content creators being paid to sell, uh, to create content around different products and platforms, which is great. Um, but I thought, why not spend a few years just building content around GraphQL? Um, and, and to be honest, it's kind of worked. Um, it's, it's been good. I mean, I had, have had some amazing discussions with people um, and some really interesting ideas have came out of that. Um, it's given me some great opportunities in the process. So, um, I, you know, my advice, if anyone is keen to do something like that, is just stick it out. Like when I started creating content in the early days, no one was really watching it. No one really cared. Um, but the more you were persistent about it, um, and you get over that that hump, uh, you know the passion. It just it just grows and grows and grows because you start to see, uh, you know, the the rewards of all of that hard work. Awesome, awesome, cool. We're getting close to the top of the hour now. Are there anything people want to throw out about Remix Conf or anything else we've talked about? Before we start closing it, I I have one for Remix Conf, and and maybe we can follow up on it later. But I'm curious if there's any like on the ground themes or hallway track conversations that seem to be consistently about a certain topic you guys are seeing there that may not be apparent or are apparent from looking at the talks. So I'll give you an example. Um, at Jamstack Conference, I felt like one of the not explicit but implicit themes was about the diversity of frameworks and the ecosystem um, as uh, the other alternatives people should know about, the other frameworks out there. Uh, and I don't know if you feel like there's something like that emerging as a theme. It could be edge. It could be um, it could be data at the edge. It could be functions at the edge. It could be something else. Uh, but is there an underlying theme that you keep hearing coming up in, in hallway conversations with folks? I've not been involved enough in the whole like conversations to give an answer to this. I don't know about Jamie, maybe. 
Yeah, quite a few. It's getting quite noisy down here in the in the hallway track now, so apologies for that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people talking about data and where data lives. Edge is more important these days. Um, so just say data in general is still a very popular topic. Uh, and edge, anything at the edge, um, we're all interested in. Um, and a lot more with re the React and the server-side um, components and all that stuff. That seems to be quite a popular topic amongst people, I think. Okay, great. Thank you. You know, as a as an edge computing platform, uh, I love I love hearing that. Uh, so thank you, Anthony. Do you want to take us out? Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. This was a super great conversation. If anyone on this stage gave you value, go ahead and their face follow them because they're going to give you more value in other places. And unfortunately, we do not have our closeout music here. But um, really appreciate everyone who came to join us. We will be doing a actual like live podcast interview with the Terso guys and people tonight at seven thirty at Remix Conf. And yeah, I'm just having a blast here, hanging out with everyone at the conference. And we hope to see you on the next one. Thank you.